in general, understanding business better and better and better every day. And then looking back and saying, oh, that's how that worked. Or that's why that functioned the way that it did. That's why the market turned, or that's why the market didn't turn. Like a story can only be told in reverse. Otherwise, it's a prediction. We're here to empower high income earners to gain back control of your time through financial independence and stop trading your time for money and start letting your money work harder for you. And hey, if you want to meet other high income earners on their FIRE journey, join our High Income Earners FIRE Facebook group. Every month we'll have guest speakers and we'll share about what our team is currently working on and allow you to share what you are working on with other high income earners. High Income Earners FIRE podcast is brought to you today by Bonavest Capital, where we partner with investors to build up passive income through real estate syndications and start living a lifestyle by design. As well as Say Yes Stock Option Investing, where we show high income earners how to generate consistent cash flow with your phone and accelerate your journey to financial freedom. Hey, so welcome back to High Income Earners Fire Podcast today with Aline, my co-host, and we are interviewing Ryan Carr. Ryan Carr is a longtime friend. I think he loves cars. He's a real estate investor big time, and he used to be a mechanic, if I remember right, but now I think he has 16 deals on the go. Maybe I'm wrong already but I don't want to butcher anything. I'll let him introduce himself. Welcome, Ryan. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So can you share a little bit about your background just so our listeners can get a little bit of a better understanding of you and what you've been up to and what your focus is on? Yeah, for sure. So Ryan Carr, 34 years old, grew up just outside of Toronto, Ontario. Previous life, I was an auto mechanic. So Cody mentioned, uh, I like cars. I do like cars. Previously a mechanic doing real estate basically evenings and weekends, just kind of getting the ball rolling. And then I got laid off from my job. I was pretty good at the real estate thing. So my wife was like, Hey, why don't you go and do that full time? So I did. And we've slowly grown a portfolio. I've had over 65 properties or something like that. Now flipped a bunch, kept a bunch, developed a bunch, new construction, rental properties, the family, all the rest of it. So that's kind of my bio in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on. This would be great. That's a good intro, Ryan. Like every time you said that intro, it impressed me. I hear it on different podcasts. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I asked you, what are your three main vehicles you have been able to build up your income? And you answer real estate and real estate. Yeah. Do you okay. want to change that answer? I'm pretty confident there. I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so why real estate though for you? And why was it like the best vehicle for you in your situation? Yeah. For me, I'm just good at it. <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like it was just like this natural thing that I gravitated towards. So like some people are really good at stocks, and some people are great at building businesses, and some people are great at investing in entrepreneurs or venture capital, seed funding. I just gravitated towards real estate. I think because I was a very tactile individual growing up, like I was good with my hands and I was mechanical and things like that. I could see real estate, it was physical. What I love about real estate is that you can transact it, you can fix it, you can rent it. You can trade it, you can own it, you can sell it, you can do all these things with real estate. And it just struck me. I just always loved it. It just pulled me in. Yeah. I didn't choose it. It chose me. Does that sound deep? Does that deep? It feels deep. You just fall into the hole and just right into it. That's right. Yeah. I think there's studies out there like 90% of the millionaires have created their wealth through real estate or I don't know, some crazy number like that, right? I believe it. I see it. Yeah. I believe it continue to create more millionaires, especially with how the market is going throughout Canada and then even in US, right? Everything's yeah. just keep going up. Yeah. And then how do you think about this year? I know this is really a, we put you on the spot here. What do you think about with the rate <laughs> rising and what's your outlook for 2022 for, you just comment about the market you're in. Yeah. So like in the Toronto market, 
generally, first of all, we are not the most expensive market in the world. Like there's Manhattan, there's Paris, there's all these California, like there's all these really, really expensive markets. So am I concerned that nobody's going to be able to afford living in Toronto? Like not necessarily. Do I think that raising interest rates will have some challenges? Yeah. I mean, of course, anytime you put more constraint on something, right? Or you tax, it's called the Laffer curve, right? So anytime you tax something, you get less of it. Anytime you incentivize something, you get more of it. Right. Well, in the case of rising interest rates, that's effectively, it's not a tax, but I mean, it does take away somebody's purchasing power if you're leveraged. Yeah. I think people will be able to afford probably slightly less house. We've got really unique circumstances in, in Canada where people have to qualify for a higher rate than they would typically be paying. And that's on the way into a mortgage. So it's really yet to be seen how rising interest rates will affect that. I mean, if the qualification requirements will change, but I mean, Yeah. Do I think it will come out of people's pockets a little bit? Yeah, I do. It really depends on how high they go. Now, do I think prices are going to like fall down tomorrow and like the world's going to light on fire? Like, no, I don't think so. We do genuinely have a supply constraint as a builder. I can tell you that I've got a number of new construction projects in the pipeline and I have to push them because I can't get materials. Right. And the process is so friggin' slow, right. To get permits and rezoning applications are just an absolute log jam right now. Like it's horrible. It's horrible. So bad. About contributing to that now. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Like, it's just tough. So it's very difficult to create new supply. That takes time. That takes years, right? I think total time, I've got a friend who's a condo developer, total timeline from acquisition of a property to like rezoning and studies and construction, all the rest of it, to like turning over a condo certificate to the new owners, like seven years, like seven years. It's insane. It's absolutely ridiculous. So that's just a condo. I mean, you've got single family homes, you've got all kinds of farms being developed and stuff like that, which all that to say, to come back to your question, do I think the world's going to melt tomorrow if rates go up a little bit? No, not really. It's so interesting that you mentioned about supply because I'm focused in the US, so the market here and the supply here, we're short on supply also. I think they said it's somewhere between five and $6 million where the housing supply is short. And so to be able to catch up to it, I think you had to build between 700 to a million houses or units per year to be able to catch up to that. And so because it takes so time, it takes such a long time for to build it up and everything like that. The supply Mm -hmm. is so short. Yeah, it's brutal. I saw a census. I don't know if you guys even, do you guys call it the census in the States when they survey the population? Uh, That's what we call it. Okay. (laughs) So this Canadian census that they came out with, Basically, they said for every dwelling unit, there's roughly 2.6, like 2.64 people that live in that unit, right? So like for every new unit of construction that's built, if one condo gets put up, 2.6 people on average live in that unit. Same thing goes for a single family home, 2.6 people on average live in that unit. Now, when they say 100,000 people are coming into the province of Ontario or 120,000 every 12 months or something like that, you you start to carry the two and you're like, oh my God. Like we got to build a lot of houses. What's that like 40, 50,000 units that we have to create on an annual basis just to keep pace, never mind the deficit that we currently have. So, I mean, if you guys are the same thing in the States with your census, you got the same challenges that we do. It's tough. Yeah, it is. So, we're going to take it back. This is a high income earners fire podcast. So, I'm going to ask you, how are you using your real estate money to yeah. reach fire? <laughs> To reach fire, financial independence, retire early. I guess I could retire, like what the heck, right? But it's not really my own version of it, right? Yeah. People don't get it as that, oh, so Ryan and Cody, you should be sitting on the beach doing nothing, right? Well, we're all here. We are here. Yeah. Well, I think we're mentally at different stage where we can take a step back and make our decision for the long term and make better decisions because what we have right now and help out more people at the same time. So Mm -hmm. 
what has been real estate has helped you to reach the state you're at right now? Yeah. So, I mean, financial independence for me really comes down to choice, the choice to work or the choice to do otherwise. I think there's a lot of people that will go through cycles, including myself, where like, you just want to like work and go gung ho and like make money and do deals and just like nose down ass up, just going for it. Right. And I think that's cool. On the same token, life could pass you by. Right. So for all of those checks and balances in life, I know for this year, I really want to do a focus. All of these things that I've done, all these 60 some odd properties and all the stuff that I bought and all the real estate that I've traded, whatever. What does all that mean? So for me, it's like, let's go back to my roots. What do I like doing? What are my personal goals? What are my business goals? Do I want to do more? Do I want to do less? Right. All of these things are super critical. You guys can see, actually, I'll just spin my chair there. You can see those frames behind me. All of those are like personal goals and business goals and all the stuff to keep me in check. So when we talk about financial independence, retire early, fire, what does that mean? That's what that means to me back there. You want to read one out? What's your favorite one out there? I know I see four. Let me spin around here. (laughs) What's my favorite one? Oh, I see that hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So one of my favorite personal goals is to have tea and pie with my wife on Thursdays. Oh, that's beautiful. It's really good about that choice, right? It's like where you want to choose to spend your time. And if it's tea with your wife, you have the option of doing that. That's right. We have tea and pie. It's fun. We want apple this week. We want blueberry. Like, what is it? That is so non-monetary. Like, so non-monetary. It's crazy, right? And five years ago, if we were like, hey, let's have tea and pie, like I'd lose my mind. Like, what do you mean tea and pie? Sweet. I have to ask really quick. Have you and your wife ever gotten into a dispute on what flavor pie (laughs) is for the day? (laughs) We haven't. We have not, but I could see that happening. Is it an apple week? Is it raspberry? You know, I'll tell you a funny story. So we don't dispute on pie, but we do dispute on jam. So she's a strawberry (laughs) jam kind of girl. I'm a raspberry jam kind of guy, right? So we end up buying fieldberry at the store. So we're both equally unhappy. That's what we do. What Your we wife do. and I would get along well. I'm with her on the strawberry. <laughs> oh my gosh, no way. I don't like strawberry jam. I'm with you, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I just Pre- keep the weight balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you said, we asked you, what's your status of fire? You said, I'm ready here, uh, but I'm still pushing for. And I know this year, It's really, you go through the phases of expanding, contracting, but what people don't get, or a lot of people don't realize is that every time you expand, even if you contract, you're a lot bigger than the last time, mentally, physically, and people around you as well, right? So it's good that you're reflecting on that. So what do you mean by I'm already here, but you're still pushing forward? Where are you pushing forward to? Yes. You know what? I like the expansion contraction point. I'll just touch on that. So like in the last number of years, I've been continuing to expand. Right. And I think this year for like, as far as the contraction, as you put it, I think if you contract, you always come back bigger, better, and smarter. So like two steps forward, one step back kind of thing, but in a positive way, as you continue to grow, like you don't lose all of those experience that you had in the past, right? You maintain that it's all up here. You don't lose that. So when you do come back, you do come back bigger and better and smarter faster and more agile. You know, I'm a big believer, big believer in highest and best use, right? And I believe that the more gray hair you have on your board, so to speak, right, the better off you'll be because these people have been in the places that you want to go. They've seen the downturns in the economy. They have the experience. Like I'm 34, right? I've never really been through a true legit recession where people are going, oh my God, losing my job. Right. Like I was first year university when the 2008 downturn happened, like in the stock market, right? And the world was melting. Real estate didn't really take a hit in Canada as much as the stock market did. But I mean, like, I've never felt that. 
So all I can do is live vicariously through other people. And that's why I say like the gray hair, because the gray hair has seen that shit. They know, right? They know how bad it can get. They know how great it can get. So just to get some baby boomer experience, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And in terms of me, what was your question? Like, I don't know. I forgot. I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> Since we're talking about this, yeah. can you tell us about your worst moment? I know you say you haven't been through a recession, yeah. really, but what's your worst moment today, age 34? What's your worst moment? Worst moment, like investing wise? Financially. I don't know. Like anything. Financially? Oh, man. So I bought well, a house one time. Yeah. I just took the agent's advice. Right? I just, they're like, yeah, hey, we got this bungalow, good part of town. You should buy it. I'm like, okay, cool. It was like one of the least expensive things on the market at the time. And for whatever reason, I didn't do my napkin numbers on this thing the way that I should. So I go in and buy this house. I fix it up. The market went a little soft in 2017. And I think that's roughly when I bought this place. And uh, you know, it was only short term, but I was kind of freaking out. Anyways, so I go in and I renovate it. I'm getting ready to flip this house. And wouldn't you know it, the place next door used to be like an old factory or something like that. Well, they, it was like a nice green field forever in this part of town. And then all of a sudden, like a week before I was getting ready to list this house, they started digging up the foundation of this old factory and there was like rebar and there was dust and there was noise and there was construction going on. And like, that's all you could see from the kitchen window of this place was like the best view ever. (laughs) Oh man, it was so bad. It was just a disaster. So if I had sold that house, I would have taken a 90K loss, right? Did you keep it? I did. So what I did in true highest and best use fashion, I was like, okay, what do I do with this thing? So I, A, don't take a 90K loss and B, make money, right? So my goal was just to like, just break even. I wanted to do like a seminar, like how I could have lost 90K and instead I made like six bucks. That was going to be the big headline, right? And we ended up doing way better than that. So long story short, I couldn't do a basement apartment. I couldn't dig down. I couldn't jack the house up. It was just a single family home, right? I couldn't do an addition on the top. Like I couldn't build a second story yeah. because of the- Yeah, height layout. limit, right? Yeah. So I ended up realizing, okay, I've only got a 40 foot wide lot, but the lot's like extra deep. So why don't I put a coach house in the back? And at this time, coach houses weren't prevalent in this particular city, right? What's a Uh, coach house? A coach house would be like a detached garage (laughs) with Uh, living quarters inside. Okay. So an outbuilding in the backyard with a living unit in it. They're becoming more and more popular just outside of Toronto now because of the cost of housing and things like that. Yeah. I think here in the in the US they call it AUD. ADU. 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 Yeah. ADU? Accessory ADU? dwelling unit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Call so, the same thing now. Yeah. Same thing. And certain area of around Toronto they call ADU as well. That's right. I think Coach House is so eloquent. So. It, does, it does sound. Fa- it does sound fancy. <laughs> right. Like if we were to have tea and pie in the Coach House. Oh my god. So, anyways, I put this Coach House in the backyard. The way that I connected it to the house, which typically wasn't done in the city, was pretty unique. And we ended up getting two units out of this thing. It was cash flowing like fantastic, better than any property. I had in the portfolio at the time and we ended up making a bunch of money and I got all my money back when I refied. So like, it was good, right? That was my closest call to like really having catastrophic failure. Otherwise, I just think it's a bunch of micro failures along the way. Like you're trying to do this thing and this thing doesn't work out in the micro scheme, but in the grand scheme, it made more sense. I'm a big believer that life happens for you, not to you. Yeah. It's great how we hear that not like all of us go through those wars moment, but what we make out of those wars moment and how do we cope with Mm -hmm. them is yeah. more important than that worst moment. Sure. So that kind of leads us to the next question. What's your biggest aha moment up until this day, age 34? I don't know. What are my options? My biggest are you aha like, aha moment? every day? Like just, aha, I woke uh-huh. up. <laughs> That's my biggest aha moment. I think just in general, understanding business better and better and better every day. And then looking back and saying, oh, that's how that worked. 
or that's why that functioned the way that it did, or that's why the market turned, or that's why the market didn't turn. Like a story can only be told in reverse, right? Otherwise it's a prediction. So I think looking back is a really good way to looking into your future. I think that's been a super aha moment for me. So for you, as you're talking about looking back and as we come across different situations, for example, the ones where you could potentially lose a 90K, instead of like falling into it and freaking yourself out and like, hey, I got to sell this so I don't lose any more and more money, you became more creative about it. So how does looking at the past and looking at all these experiences help to drive your mindset and your decisions for the future and making decisions along the way? I'm a big creative deal guy. And looking at all of the deals that I've done in the past really helps me cultivate what I'm good at. And I stick to that. I do this thing called napkin numbers and it's four lines. It's the purchase resale price times 0.91 minus your renovations, carrying cost and purchase price, right? And when you got those four things, then you can find out if the deal is going to win or lose. That's what I do on every single deal. Like literally every deal I do. It's my cell phone screensaver up there in a cabinet. I actually have napkins. It's like printed on cocktail napkins. I give them to people at events and I do that on every deal. And when I don't do that, that's when I get myself into trouble, right? So I really think like, okay, if this is a net positive deal, a whole bunch of things can go wrong and I can break even. I'm okay with that, right? If it's a negative deal right off the hop, then why would I even buy it? Silly, like don't leave your seat. That's a really great insight. And also Ryan runs his own construction company too. So his 0.91, it's a lot more conserved than other people's 0.91 already, right? Would you agree to that, Ryan? Because you have your own crew, right? Uh, so the 0.91 is actually a transactional cost multiplier. So in my experience, just outside of Toronto, we're about 1.5% for land transfer tax. Yeah. We're 5% plus HST, which is about 5.5% for realtor commissions. We're about 1.5% for lawyer fees uh, when you close on a property, like all the stuff, right? So when you add that up, in and out of a property, you're about 9%. So if I buy a house for 100 grand today and I sold the house for 109,000 tomorrow, Right, I end up with the same hundred thousand bucks back. As you scale that up, the nine percent it just stays in check, right? So if you're going to sell a million dollar house or a five hundred thousand dollar townhouse or like whatever, nine percent still stays relatively simplistic. Then it's just a fast back of the napkin way for me to look at all these deals and be like, yeah, okay, this would make sense, or you know what, there's no money here, I'm going to keep moving on. Since you're talking about this, and you seem kind of fire, what are you fire about right now? What are you really excited and passionate about right now or this year? This year, God, I'm really passionate about tea and pie. I, <laughs> sounds pretty good. I heard that you have a new book. Is that coming out anytime soon? Yeah, I do have a new book. It is coming out soon. So we're really hoping for summer of 2022. I've been writing this thing for like a year and a half now. I didn't think it would take this long to do. I got close. I had to make some changes. I got busy. I stopped writing it. I got less busy again and kept writing it. I don't know. Whatever. It's coming out. right? And I'm super excited to let it into the world and uh, let it out of the hard drive into the jungle, so to speak. It's been a lot of fun to do. And it's all about highest and best use. And three things that I'm talking about in the book are the highest and best use of land structure and then skill sets and time. What was the hardest thing about writing the book? Just putting in the time. You know, I didn't want to ghostwrite it. I really wanted to write the whole thing. Um, and short of having somebody proofread for punctuation and things like that and sending it, it out to a couple of beta readers, which I've done. The hardest thing was just finding the time, sitting down, hammering it out and saying, okay, I want to make sure that my voice comes across into the text so that it is me saying those things. And I think we nailed that. We, I, I think I nailed that. <laughs> We're excited for that. Yeah. So usually we'll do a lightning round at the end of the podcast. Are you ready for a quick five question? Yeah, man, let's do it. 
Yeah. First question is, what tools are you using to track your finance for FIRE? I don't track any of my finance. That's what accountants do. <laughs> so my tool is a bookkeeper. <laughs> okay, that's the end of this podcast. Yeah, Sorry, it's Ryan. A, it's a mistake. We have you on this fire podcast. Sorry. I, I can't get too bogged down in the weeds with some of this shit. Like I think that you could use QuickBooks and you could use CRMs. You could do all this stuff, right? But for me, that's why I want a good bookkeeper. That's why I want an accountant. One thing that I will do when I go from my current state to maybe doing another push later on in my career is I will hire in-house accounting because right now I don't have that. So that would be my next tool moving forward to have a dedicated person that says, Hey, Rye, your cash flow analysis is this, which means you can or cannot buy this thing, you know, three months. That would be my tool. So how do you know that you're fired then for you personally? I'm not I'm not dumb either. I know where I know where <laughs> we stand, right? So I have a good general idea. Like I have a good pulse on the business. I have a good general idea with just simple online banking, the cash flow in and out. Um, I keep a net worth statement, obviously, all the time. I update that every three months. I know what properties we're buying and selling. So I do have a pretty good idea on where we stand. All right. So the second question... Oh, do you have a question, Cody? No, no, no. Go for the, it. The second question we had is, if you had to start all over with 500K, what would you do to start again? Oh, I do the same thing. I do the same thing that I did. I'm super happy with starting small and staying humble. I don't have like 50 employees or anything like that. I think I have like six. You know, I would probably do the exact same thing. I think if I knew where the market was trending, which nobody ever does, but if I knew where the market was going to go, or when I started investing in real estate, but like let's say if go. you lose everything, you started today, 500K with all the knowledge you have right now, what would oh. you do to start again right now? Oh, what would I do? I would probably still do the same thing. I'd go and buy equity, right? Warren Buffett's rule go buy $1 for 66 cents. I would but go and buy equity. And I'd how would you find it? I would probably do it with yellow letters and door knocking. That's how I would do it. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. If you are a podcast host, if you're Eileen or if you're Cody, who would you interview? I would interview Steve Wynn. Steve oh. Wynn is a Las Vegas developer, mm-hmm. right? I'm a big believer in his stuff. He's had some negative press the last couple of years, <laughs> but uh, from the business perspective, I think he is a big believer in treating his company employees and the culture with a lot of respect. I think he's a big believer in building beautiful product and people travel all over the world to see his stuff in Las Vegas and Macau and Boston all over. Yeah, we have his contact. You can, you know, DM us. <laughs> I don't, but if you get his contact before I do, Frig, share it with me too. And what are some of the charities that you would consider donating for a good cause? Something around food. I like to eat, right? And I know the importance of proper food, proper nutrition, uh, very difficult to concentrate when you're hungry. So I would probably donate to something surrounding food. Apple so last question. Yeah, apple. <laughs> That's right. Not strawberry, <laughs> apple pie. No, no. <laughs> so with all the good information you're sharing, your new books, all these good stuff you're doing, where can our listeners find you? People could find me at thehighestandbestuse.com and you can sign up to the book there. And when it comes out, you'll be the first to know. Awesome. Anything else you want to share? Last piece of advice with our guests? Last piece of advice. I don't know. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's a lot of fun to do these podcasts, a lot of fun to do these shows. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for the people that actually want it. Like You have to want it from here. You have to want it from within if you're going to win. I think that there's a lot of half-baked entrepreneurs out there doing YouTube pre-roll and Instagram advertisements and things like that, that a lot of flash and they say, do you want to make this much per month? And, And then they never come through. right? And I think that there's a lot of people out there that are actually doing 
that stuff. And you got to find the people that are actually doing that stuff and find somebody that's been where you want to go and model that. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. Coaching is super important. Education is a very important piece. And I don't know, I've said for a long time that education is like a stove, buy it once and use it forever. And uh, <laughs> I still believe in that every day. You know, it's true. I spend lots of money on my own coaching and my own self development just to get better. Yeah. They say success leaves clues. There you go. Right. There you go. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really enjoyed having you. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, that's a pleasure having Ryan on. And then, yeah, up to the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. All the links mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. And if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. The link is also included in the show notes. And we would really appreciate your help in spreading the word to more high-income earners on how they too can maximize both their time and money. Also, if you still haven't joined our High Income Earners Facebook group, You are missing out on high income earners community where we help each other reach our own version of fire.